a Podcast One production. G'day, welcome to Be A Man. Sexuality is the episode. It's Mardi Gras in Sydney uh, tomorrow, which has started off all those years ago, 40-year anniversary. Now it's a celebration that I think is loved and respected all around the world. Yeah, we've recently had the yes vote, um, which is a... Much too late, I suppose. The thing about boys and girls on such a great job with marriage, you know, like <laughs> like forty nine percent of marriages break up in any way. So, or fifty one percent break up. So, why, why why are boys and girls, you know, all of a sudden held up as this is the the great way to live their lives? But I think what's particularly interesting, it seems to me that things are, are better and easier now than you know 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But we also know it's still difficult, particularly for younger men, maybe still in high school. So it's going to be very interesting to explore what it's like to understand yourself, I suppose, and then what it's like to tell family and friends and, you know, some of the challenges that not just men but women as well are facing. We've been very lucky to have some wonderful guests on on our podcast and this this gentleman's an absolute ripper. Jason Ball is his name. He's a pioneering LGBTI and mental health advocate. Last year, he was named Young Australian of the Year for Victoria. In 2012, he came out as gay, becoming the first male Aussie rules player at any level to publicly come out in the national media. Jason Ball, Welcome. Thank you, Gus. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, at what stage did you sort of realise that you were gay and how much pressure was it to come out? I figured that out about the age of 12 or 13. And at the time, I thought that that was the worst possible thing that I could be. Uh, You know, at school, the word gay constantly used to mean bad or weak or stupid or disgusting. And when I figured out that that was me or what other people might think about me, it really crushed me. Yeah. This really interests me because, uh, I mean, to be honest, it's never even been a question for me, but it really fascinates me. And I do a lot of work with a youth mental health charity that, uh, that go into schools and talk to young people about mental health. But this issue frequently comes up. And it does seem like there are people who, it's pretty obvious. And he said like at 12 or 13, often around puberty, I suppose, it just sort of clicks and they know. But there seem to be another group of people who are unsure. And I'm wondering whether... Are they really unsure? Does it take time? Or is it just sort of fighting against those social pressures and not necessarily wanting to deal with that? Yeah, I think for some people I've spoken to who didn't have my experience where I figured it out quite early, uh, other people who came out much later in life, uh, I think partly for them it was like they're unconscious. They were just burying it. They didn't want to go there because of society pressures, as you said. Uh, and I think there's some research in recent years that shows that sexuality is not necessarily a black and white thing, but there's you know, some fluidity there. So I suppose there are some people for whom it's not that simple. Yeah, and I think that's true in terms of the fluidity. I think everyone is somewhere on the spectrum. Uh, but the challenges around you know notions of bisexuality, for example, where rightly or wrongly, the stereotype for many men who come out as bisexual is, oh, well, you know, you're just halfway there. You, you Eventually, you're going to come out as gay. Um, but bisexuality is a legitimate thing. But the challenge is that I know for even myself and some of my friends, telling people that we were bisexual instead of gay was a means to try and make it a little bit easier. Or mm. maybe when you were telling your parents, they still had some hope that you might like, you know, have kids or something like that. And that perpetuates that stereotype that bisexuality doesn't exist when in fact it absolutely does. Jason, um, can you take us back to that 12, 13 year old boy, just to explain how you felt, where you were at the time, were you at boarding school, living at home? Did you tell your parents, your friends? Can you take us through that sort of 12 to sort of 17, 18? Yeah, I was living at home with my parents and the realisation for me, it was quite scary. I remember 
making a promise to myself that I would never act on these feelings. I was like, you know, I'm going to marry a woman, have kids, do everything society expects of me. No one should know that I'm really gay because I was worried that my parents would be disappointed. I was worried that my friends would discard me. And so I tried for a few years not to be gay. Um, and that was a, a losing battle. Um, but, you know, it, it was hard. And, and by the age of about 15, after, you know, hiding, self-loathing, I thought that I'd sooner end my life than tell anyone that I was gay because I, w- I was so embarrassed about it. And uh, because of those attitudes in society, discriminatory laws, uh, for me, my journey to, I guess, self-acceptance happened between that age of 15 and 17. And for me, you know, I, I had to tell someone. Um, and if I hadn't, I don't know what I would have done. And I spoke to a girl who didn't go to my high school, so I felt like a safer bet in case she didn't react well and wasn't going to get out. And being a girl as well, I thought that she'd be more... I didn't want to tell any of my guy friends because I thought that they would think I was sick or that I was hitting on them or or something like that. And, you know, the way that they spoke, words like faggot and poofter and homo, like it just seemed like they hated gay people. Mm. And so that's what I thought they were going to react to me coming out. And luckily when this girl, Bryony, was positive. That kind of was was the start for me to accept who I was. And I kind of came to the realisation that if I only live once, I may as well be who I am, you know, not worry so much about what other people are going to think about me. But in the end, you know, most people didn't think less of me. Um, and a lot of the fears that I had about how people were going to react weren't actually realised. Well, first of all, so sad you had to go through that first, but it's hard enough negotiating the stages of puberty and adolescence without having to fight against who you are. I mean, that must have been, it was, must have been quite horrific, really. But it's fantastic that you got through that. Can you explain a bit more? How did you do that? Because that couldn't have been easy to overcome that self-loathing, come to self-acceptance. For me, it was about meeting other people who were like me. And I had no role model. There was no one on TV like Josh Thomas or on radio like Tom Ballard who were openly gay and happy and successful. All I had were these negative stereotypes in my head. And I reached out at the time, it was sort of, you know, the dawn of the internet. And um, there's an organisation in Melbourne called Minus 18, which is a youth support for LGBTI uh, young people. And they organise um, underage dance parties and picnics and stuff like that to meet other people. And, and being able to actually meet other people who were like me and they were normal and they were happy was sort of just made me feel like it was going to be okay. You're not alone all of a sudden. Yeah. But I, I still had this feeling that maybe I was going to be living a secret life. Like I still was really scared about telling my parents. I thought I would never come out to my football club, especially. But at least I was happy in these moments um, where I could go and spend time with these people, make new friends, have relationships. But for a long time, it was something that I was doing in secret because I was still really worried about my parents' reaction. I imagine when you first discovered them online, that must have been quite liberating and positive in a way. But the first time you actually rocked up to a proper event, what was that like? I'm guessing there's a little bit of anxiety involved. Oh, so much anxiety, so much anxiety, but also possibly the most liberating experience of my life was being in, uh, you know, an underage uh, dance party. And, you know, the police were there. They've got gay and lesbian liaison officers and stuff like that. So we felt really safe and being able to hold the hand of another guy or even kiss another guy in what is like a public space without the fear of 
violence or people staring at you or you being treated differently was so amazing. Like <laughs> it was like it was something that I thought I'd never get to actually do. That is, we're both smiling here, just thinking, just you, you took us there and I'm so pleased for you. You spoke about the footy club, thinking you'd never come out for the club. You weren't just a footy player. You're a really good footy player. So the stereotype that comes with an Aussie icon game and someone who was playing at the highest level, can you talk us through who you were playing for and how you felt when you eventually went, righto, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people who I truly am? Yeah, well, the thing that was lucky for me is when I was playing uh, senior footy at Yarra Glen, which is the same place where I played all my junior footy growing up as a kid. So a lot of people there around the club already knew me, which was good because I'd played junior football with a lot of the guys. Even though I was, you know, living and studying in the city, I would travel about an hour out to go and play at Yarra Glen. Mum and dad would feed me after footy practice, which was a good deal as a uni student. <laughs> um, but it wasn't actually me making the decision, all right, I'm going to come out to my team. I'd sort of made the choice that that was the one place that I was never going to come out. Uh, you know, whether it was coming from over the fence or coming from my coach or even my own teammates, those homophobic slurs, it just made me feel like they wouldn't accept me. And so even though I was out to friends and family and work colleagues um, within the football club, uh, I would never get involved in conversations about relationships. I even created like a separate Facebook list so that just my teammates wouldn't see photos I was tagged in, places I was checked into or what my relationship status was. And it probably limited the kinds of friendships and bonds that I could have developed with my teammates because um, I was always hiding that side of my life. But, you know, there's only so much that you can hide. And after 10 years, I can remember the first time that it came up in conversation with one of my teammates and I'd kind of made a promise to myself that if I got asked about it, that I wouldn't lie because lying, you know, it hadn't gone so well in the past when it came to making up stories about girls. Like I had no idea what I was talking about <laughs> and it's exhausting to maintain, you know, fabricated stories anyway. But uh, one of my teammates had broken up with his girlfriend and after training, we're in the club rooms and I knew both of them. So I asked what had happened and after a bit of back and forth, he clearly didn't want to talk about it anymore and he put it back onto me and he's like, oh, what about you, Borley? Aren't you seeing someone at the moment? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing someone. And I would sort of use words like they and them instead of he or she to try and be honest without giving it away. And my teammate just said, well, what's his name? And my heart started beating really fast. <laughs> I thought maybe he was testing yeah. me. And I was just like, oh, his name is James. And my teammate said, well, has he come to any football matches yet? And I said, no, he hasn't. And he goes, oh, well, you should bring him down. It'd be really great to meet him. And that was just like this weight getting lifted off my shoulders. And like, you know, one by one conversations like that kept happening in my football club where they would sort of reach out to me to say, we know that you're gay. It's not a big deal to us. And all those fears that I'd had in my head weren't realized. And part of me felt silly for thinking that I'd had to hide it for yeah, so you've long. you've had 10 years of hiding yeah. it. But I kind of, I came to really understand that a lot of the homophobic language and behavior that was coming from my teammates while I was growing up, like wasn't coming from a place of hatred towards me or gay people, but it was just coming from a place of ignorance and not understanding what they were saying or the impact that that could be having on one of their own teammates. Mm. And so, you know, at that point, I'd never felt more part of the club down at Yarra Glen than I had in my whole life and I played better as a result and, you know, that was the moment where 
thinking about when I was young and struggling to come to terms with who I was, especially in that sort of macho footy environment, if I had have known of such thing as a gay football player and if I had have known that he could be out to his teammates and it wouldn't be a big deal, that would have made a really big difference to me. I mean, that's awesome. Whoever that guy was, you know, big ups to him. <laughs> it's almost a bit of a cliche in some movies that have touched on this. And in many of them, there's this cliche that when the individual young person often comes out, the mum or dad say, look, it's okay. We already knew that. But sadly, that's not the case for everyone. In fact, I remember speaking at a school not long ago and a young guy asked a question about coming out and said that his parents wouldn't accept it, particularly for religious reasons. He came from a very religious background. So that's a lot harder, obviously. I mean, hopefully for most people, it's going to be a smooth process. I think a lot of that fear can be overcome. But you know, what do you say to a guy whose family won't accept him? Because that must be even harder. It is hard. And I know for myself, even though my parents weren't religious, it was still hard for them. Um, And even if there's a 5% chance that they might not accept you, that's enough to paralyze you to, to not want to come out because you need your parents. They feed you and clothe you and you want their love more than anything when you're growing up. And how did you actually go about telling them? Well, I, I I didn't want to. I didn't ever want to. And I mean, most kids don't want to talk about sex with their parents ever anyway, uh, let alone this. I certainly don't want to talk about <laughs> with my parents, that's for sure. Um, but I, I, I was like, well, you know, if my sister doesn't have to come out as straight, then I'm not going to come out as gay, which was actually code for I'm petrified they're going to be disappointed in me, <laughs> so I don't want to ever bring it up. And so I just kind of trained them to not ask questions about it and they sort of figured it out but I just didn't want to talk about it and I really regret not sitting them down and telling them when I was younger because when I did finally talk to them about it it brought us closer and it meant that I didn't have to hide anything from them anymore and I remember my first boyfriend when I went to his house to meet his parents I got introduced as the boyfriend I was made to feel part of the family and then when he came to my house it was just like this awkward like is he a friend is he your boyfriend we don't really talk about your sexuality so and I I wanted what he had with his parents and so when I made the decision to share my story in the media, that was actually the first time that I had to have a proper conversation with mum and dad. I mean, they already knew I was 23 years old. I'd been bringing guys home, but I hadn't talked to them about it properly. And, And when my story was published in The Age back in 2012, that was me coming out to my extended family and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and, you know, getting texts Is that from easier them. then because the, the paper's done it for you in a way? You've been brave enough to have the interview, but all of a sudden it's out there. You don't need to look them in the eye and have that connection and tell them and... Well, you don't... Maybe you have that one conversation with the journalist and then that saves 100 or 1,000 conversations. Yes, totally. But, I mean, in the end, I've probably had another 100 or 1,000 conversations about it since because, you know, with, with no... AFL player at that, you know, elite level coming out, my story kind of filled that vacuum and all of a sudden I became the face of, you know, what it's like to be a gay footballer. And I was sort of happy to do that because I know that that's what I needed to hear, that story, when I was a kid. How many AFL players do you think are gay but aren't out? I would say that there's probably one or two in every club Um, and it's... uh, kind of a blight on the game. I think that they don't feel comfortable to be themselves. Um, People who are in the closet are significantly worse off in terms of their mental health and well-being. often. I know for me it was exhausting for a couple of years, let alone for my whole life, and or feeling like you have to have one life in private and another life in public. It can be really hard. And uh, for me, you know, I really feel for them. Um, 
I think that for a lot of them who are currently playing, there's this feeling that it's risking your career and you might get sidelined by the club, you might lose sponsorship deals, there might be some negative backlash for the fans. I don't think any of that would really happen, but they don't really have anything else to go on. And so at that elite level, we just need someone to show them that that can be the case. And we've done it with women's AFL. There's a number of openly gay players and the sky hasn't fallen in. Um, <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Which is why it's so, it, you know, it's so important, I think, um, that people like you speak out. And we know that in the mental health space more generally, um, there's been a big movement in recent years about people talking out and not being afraid to say you know, that I'm depressed or I'm anxious, that I've got a mental health problem. And um, we know that that then makes it easier for the next person. For every, you know, every time I put up my hand, than the next person that might hear that, especially younger people. So was it a conscious effort to become like this ambassador? And, and if so, how do you see your role now? It actually wasn't too conscious. I feel like, I honestly feel like I fell into it. Like the backstory with how it happened was um, Tom Ballard, who was a friend of mine, uh, was connected with the, one of the first ever change.org petitions that were launched in Australia. And change.org, the organisation, at the time there'd been an incident in the AFL where a player was heard issuing a homophobic slur to another player, but he had gotten off on a lot lesser penalty than, say, a racist slur. So there's a lot of commentary happening in the game about whether or not homophobic slurs are fair game or not in sledging. And change.org wanted to do a petition to call on the AFL to do more uh, on this issue. And they needed like a face and a story to it. And they're like, do we know any gay footballers? And Tom Ballard's like, I know one. And at the time it hadn't even dawned on me that it was a big deal that I was playing country footy and I was gay. And then Tom connected me with change and they were like, do you think homophobia is a problem in the AFL? And I was like, well, absolutely. And do you want to, you know, be part of this movement with us? And just, I thought it was just going to be one petition, you know, see what we can do. <laughs> And then five years later, you know, <laughs> we've got the 50-metre line at Etihad Stadium painted in a rainbow, um, you know, country football, pride cups happening all across regional Victoria and hopefully expanding across the country. So I didn't expect at that moment to that I'd become some kind of ambassador or, or face for that. But, you know, one thing just led to another and it snowballed. Mm. Now that you obviously have taken on that role and that you're standing proud, um, how's that impacted uh, on the AFL community? Well, I think the AFL community has shifted significantly. I, I know when I first launched the petition, we called on the AFL to show no to homophobia ads on the big screen and to commit to a pride round. And not only did they agree to show those ads on the big screen, but they updated their vilification and discrimination policies to include sexuality along with race, religion and gender and, and other attributes. And while they weren't ready for a pride round back in 2012, uh, my local footy club, Yarra Glen, where I was playing at the time, decided that they would theme one of their games around celebrating inclusion and diversity. So we painted our 50 metre line rainbow and created rainbow jumpers for both of the teams to, you know, send that message that uh, every player and official and fan like don't have to choose between being themselves and playing sport and the game that they love. And that was what inspired the AFL with the Sydney Swans and St Kilda Football Club to take the initiative to the national level. And we've actually, there's been some research done by La Trobe University and Vic Health around the impact of the Pride game and how the attitudes of footy fans have shifted as a result and, and increased understanding about LGBTI issues and confidence to challenge homophobic language when they hear it and know that that's not appropriate. And so that's 
the the impact that we've had on the fans of St Kilda in Sydney. And so uh, we'll just continue pushing, really. Jason, have you had any negative come back at you? At, uh, just meeting you here and looking at you and listening to your talk, you could take some negative, you'd brush that aside, you'd just keep moving on because you're that sort of character. But I imagine someone in your situation, maybe not a famous sports person, but coming out and having some negatives, it might really knock people for six if you haven't quite got that confidence to be able to keep you know, moving forward. What would you say to someone listening now who's struggling with their sexuality and that's really knocking their mental health for six? Yeah, look, I mean, my message to most people out there, and you never know how accepting or not people are going to be, but all I can do is offer hope because if it can be okay in country Victoria in, in a footy club, like it can be okay anywhere. And I know that most people out there are not bad people and don't want to cause harm with the use of their language or their attitudes. And for most people, their coming out could actually be the thing that transforms the attitudes of people around them and their family. Because people who know someone on a personal level, um, you know, it might not happen overnight, but they are much less likely to hold you know, stereotypical, misunderstood or discriminatory views towards that community. Um, most of the people out there championing the, the yes vote were people whose friends or mums or dads or brothers or sisters were gay and it was personal to them. And I think that makes a really big difference. Obviously, there's quite a bit of water under the bridge now. If you take a boy home to your family now, how do they respond? What do they do? Um, I'm thinking a man maybe now. A man. Sorry. A man. <laughs> um, oh, they're, they're great. Um, yeah, they're, they're really supportive. Um, they they want to know if he knows how to cook because I can't. Um, <laughs> so you're still getting fed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> still getting fed by mum and dad. Absolutely. Good to know. They're focusing on the big issues. <laughs> what, what about your mates? Um because that's the one thing we talk about quite a bit is, you know, the different types of masculinity in this country, mates and having mates around, having a gotcha for life friend, having that one person you can talk to about things. Did you lose anyone over being who you naturally are because they thought you were this footy star and, you know, you disappointed them when you, when you decided to be who you truly are? Well, when I was in high school, I think I naturally drifted away from a lot of my guy friends because I was worried about how they would respond. And I ended up just having lots of friends who were girls. And um, a lot of the guys thought I was just hitting on them or trying to, it's you know, good, it's cut good their foil lunch. For you. but, um, yeah. <laughs> You're thinking you've always got the chick. <laughs> I, just, I just hang around with groups of girls. And so I kind of almost didn't give anyone a chance to reject me because I preempted it by moving away from them, which I think is really sad when you think about it. But it, And it was really only later in life that I was able to form friendships with straight men and kind of through football, um, that was really the case. And now, you know, with a number of AFL players who have become great allies and spokespeople for this cause as well. For me, in 2013, I was so honoured to be invited to lead Pride March in Melbourne, which is like a much more low-key version of Mardi Gras. And uh, for me, the heroes of that story were my teammates from Yarra Glen who came and marched by my side and we were joined by Daniel Jackson from Richmond and Brock McLean from Carlton who became the first AFL players to ever take part in that event and I thought it was so... I guess significant to have not only people who are straight, but to have footy boys marching in a gay pride march, you know, broke down a lot of stereotypes about what it means to be a man, you know, Mm. and kind of, I think, gave permission to other people in the community to know that saying no to homophobia doesn't make you less of a man. It means that you are a good bloke and it means that you're sticking up for your mates. And, you know, that was really, I guess, a more inclusive form of masculinity that was 
perpetuated because of that day. Well, it's interesting you said standing against homophobia doesn't make you less of a man. I'd argue it makes you more of a man, standing up for fairness and equality and how could that be a bad thing? Absolutely. And I think that's why I talk so much about my teammates and their reaction to me because they're the role models that other men in the community need to see. In a football club, there's kind of that groupthink and the idea that to be masculine and to be a man, you have to be not okay with gay people. And in a group situation, that's often what you see in football clubs with that culture. But when you get any of these guys one-on-one, they're not that person. They don't want to be that person. And as soon as you give them permission to not be that person, uh, you know, there's no turning back. What advice could you give overall? I mean, you've been so good sharing your story with us today and people listening, no doubt, will be getting some hints. What's sort of the underlying sort of tips, if you like, for a young bloke out there or a man even who's in a relationship with a girl or a girl listening now, a relationship with a boy who, you know what, they've decided that they are gay and they want to try to live the way they should live? The only advice I think I can offer is don't be afraid to be who you are and explore that. From my realisation, you only live one time. Do what makes you happy. Be who you are. It's, it's it's such a scary thing, though, I imagine. You went through that yourself. With the footy club, um, just going back a little bit, were you a tough sort of player? Yeah, I think in a way I was probably overcompensating and yeah. probably, uh, you know, the football was a bit of a, an escape and it was probably the thing that brought me closest to my dad. Um, I think he's come and watched every single football match I've ever played. Yeah. He loved um, the fact that you got stuck in. and Yeah, totally, and that I was a good player and I was respected in the club and, you know, won all the best and fairest growing up playing footy in, in Yarra Glen. And so for me, that kind of possibly helped, unfortunately, in a way because it's so stereotypical, but it wasn't what people expected um, when I came out. Well, Ian Roberts, one of the toughest rugby league players of all time, played for South Sydney, Manly, New South Wales and Australia, you know, came out openly gay. I think he was probably one of the first ones ever to do it. You couldn't get a tougher bloke. And that really did help people go, gee whiz, you know, a bloke like that who puts his head where most people don't put their feet. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if, if he's a gay guy, then God, then... then they're a bit tougher than we yeah. thought. Exactly, exactly. And those stereotypes can be quite damaging, really. And in a way, because I was playing footy and it was a rough contact sport, I was shielded from a lot of the bullying that, say, guys who weren't as you know tough and masculine got in high school. Those who were in the school musical or doing you know other other sports like dancing. You know, I was lucky that because of, or maybe that was why I focused on it because then I wouldn't be on the receiving end of that kind of abuse. Gus just asked, what advice would you give to a young person trying to come out? Uh, Another interesting question might be, what advice would you give to someone who wants to support a person coming out? What would you say to them, to the mum or dad or friend? Yeah, look, the advice I give to anyone who wants to be a good ally, I suppose, to the LGBTI community, um, firstly, you can think about your own language and the things that you say because a lot of people can say things that can be quite hurtful and they don't even realise it. But then on top of that, just not saying homophobic things is probably not enough. There's also, you need to be a bit more proactive and visible about your support. And I think for many gay people, they live in this world where they have to come out like every single day to people when they start new jobs. And uh, that can be scary because you, you might be you know, buying a couch and this person's like, oh, is this your brother? And then you're like, 
well, do I come out to this complete stranger or yeah. not? You know, do I lie? Do I correct him? And, and that happens all the time. And so the, the only thing that you can do when you've, you've got friends is you can make it known in whatever way you can that you're a supportive person to that community. It might be saying something positive about the fact that Mardi Gras on this weekend, you know, or marriage equality passing. For me, I was looking mm. for those windows of support from people around me and my friends and my family to know who was safe to come out to. Yeah. Um, because you assume the worst uh, in people or you're af- afraid of the worst sometimes, even though they might not have said anything homophobic. If they haven't said anything supportive, there's still that risk. It must be exhausting. Like you say, just that simple buying the sofa sort of thing. But what do you say? What do you say now? No, right now I, I'm like, no, it's actually my partner. Like holding my partner's hand in public, like it's become a thing that was quite scary to do at first and quite scary to, you know, in an Uber or, you know, uh, buying some furniture or something like that. I'm trying to be visible and be myself because the more people can do that, the less othering it is and the less people are going to turn their heads and stare if it becomes more common then it's not going to be a thing that people are afraid to do because you're less likely to get those negative reactions have you got a partner at the moment are you happy at the moment i'm very happy at the moment single um okay. i um well, as we uh, said at the top mardi gras tomorrow so it's party exactly time. yeah i wanted to make sure i'll single for mardi gras <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want to start a new relationship like the week of mardi gras oh. <laughs> what if it doesn't work out and you've exactly. missed your opportunity exactly not on the 40th anniversary no no, no chance. But I've, um, you know, I've been in a number of relationships in my life and they've all helped me grow and I'm still friends with a lot of my former partners, um, which is really great. And uh, at the moment, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm almost too busy to have a partner because I get to travel around Victoria and talk at schools and football clubs about my story. because you haven't found the right one. If you found the right one, all of a sudden that'll fit in, blend in beautifully. Well, maybe I'll meet him tomorrow night at, yeah. at Mardi Gras. <laughs> exactly. Um, have a wonderful time tomorrow night and thanks for joining us today. Been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Absolutely ripper bloke, Jason Ball, Dr. Happy. Uh, what should we do if we are struggling with our sexual identity? It is important to note it's not always easy. There's all sorts of factors and forces and pressures that make it difficult for a young man or a young woman, for that matter, to be true to themselves. But I think, you know, the most important thing I took from Jason's fantastic story is that it is so important to be yourself, to be a man in whatever way that means to you, uh, whether it's you know, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. So, you know, it is important to try and understand who we are and to live a life that's true to that. And if you're struggling, I suppose, then, you know, go and talk to someone, find someone. Uh, Thankfully, through the internet now, it's much easier to connect with different organisations, different people. You know, you'll learn pretty quickly you're not alone. And that's a massive thing to realise you're not alone. So try to be yourself. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. And ideally, talk to those people close to you, your, your loved ones, your family, your friends. An underlying thing all way through all our podcasts is if you share your feelings with someone, if you've got someone you can talk to openly, warts and all, then you're a much better chance of getting through most things. What about how do we support the people in our lives who have come out? Yeah, look, that, and that's a really important one as well, because no matter what we're struggling with or no matter what problems we're facing, we, we all want love and support. We want our families and our friends to, to, to appreciate us and love us for who we are. So show them your love. Um, talk to them. Be open. Try to understand. I guess that's for a big thing. The more we can understand people who are different, uh, the harder it is to hate them, the easier it is to love them. So ask them questions. Uh, try to give them an opportunity to explain what it's like for them and then do your best to understand what they are and appreciate who they are for who they are and then do whatever you can to express positivity towards them in their particular life. 
If this episode caused any concerns, please contact lifeline.org.au or give them a call, 13 11 14. The Be A Man podcast series is presented by me, Gus Warland, and my great mate, Dr Tim Sharp, produced by the beautiful Liv Proud, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Be A Man is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Be A Man, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or look us up on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review us.